0: The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit Ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Lutie.
1: I'm not exactly sure how to prepare you for this message. I'm, I feel that it is so lacking and you, if you become a preacher, you'll know what I mean by that. It's sort of like, you, I look at my notes, and I'm like, Pfft. boy, if God doesn't breathe through this, then uh, this is going to be paltry. It's a very, very significant theme, and it's one that is burdening my heart, but how to articulate this is just uh, extremely difficult. Five degrees of fatherly love, a study in the Spirit's work of sanctification, Five Degrees of Fatherly Love. Now that could be somewhat misleading. As I've thought about the title, I'm like, huh. People could begin to think that we're just talking about gradients of love, which sort of we are, but it's more the five degrees or effects of God's love upon us. Because God's love is just God's love. And how it affects us uh, is quite extraordinary. And I'm going to go through the five degrees, and that's what I'm going to liken to the idea of sanctification. Sanctification is just a big Bible word. And I I never like to, in in training disciples, intimidate them with big Bible words. Because I'm not interested in you having a big head about the big Bible words you know. And I'm also not interested in intimidating certain people to think, Oh, I can't understand this Christianity thing because it's a whole bunch of big words. Sanctification, in a very simple sense, is God's love entering our life and changing us. It's His Holy Spirit making this His home. And if the Holy Spirit is going to move into a home, what's he going to do in that home? He's going to make it like himself, which is holy. And that's what sanctification is. It's, it's a process. Uh, some people have misunderstood sanctification over the years to be something that's instant. And in other words, I came to Jesus and I was sanctified, which is a part truth. However, you were clothed in his righteousness, in his holiness, and as a result, you are deemed holy or set apart or a saint of God. That's where that concept would come from. But underneath that clothing, you are still a work in process. And the Holy Spirit moves into this work in process and enters into the process of sanctification, of sanctifying you, of making you likened unto God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You guys ever heard that scripture before? Now, I'm not reading it to you because it's new and and it's something maybe you've never heard, but almost because we've heard it so much, we, we forget what the cross is. The cross is an expression of love, a love so great that God was willing to sacrifice at the greatest levels to get it to us, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I gave a message, oh, I don't remember when it was, but it was a year, year and a half ago, called Heavenly Affection. Very, it was a deeply impacting message upon my life, and I introduced a word to the church here called on." It's a very unromantic and unattractive word, I have to admit. But I tell you what, what it means is one of the most beautiful, most picturesque, most wonderful heavenly ideas. And it's packaged in that word. Doesn't that just sound like the gospel? The gospel, come and die. It doesn't sound like the most intriguing or attractive uh, idea, and yet in that idea of come and die is and find life. And this is life, splog on, God's tenderest affections. It's an amazing thought to think that God feels. But then to add to that dimension that God feels towards us, and God has tender affection towards us. And that's hard to imagine. It's almost inconceivable to some of us. You know, many of us, even as I say that, you know intellectually that's probably true. But you have a difficult time appropriating it for yourself. In other words, you could tell someone else, oh, God loves you. But the understanding of God's affection towards you is, is hindered. There, there's some blockages. So God's tenderest affections, his deepest and warmest mercies toward us who believe. So to explain splogon, I'm going to go back to that word a few times throughout this message, so I want you to get a little familiar with it, splogon. But what is splogon? It's hard to create a metaphor for it as far as how God's affection works, because we have a lot of twisting to the ideas of love and affection in our world. It makes it very fleshly, and it removes the intrinsic heavenly purity of it. So to identify what this is in a, in, a, in a mental picture, this is a very manly idea, but it's the father peeking over the crib. And so as a father, I have a little precious one in the crib, or you could say bassinet. And when that little one is first born, when Hudson was first born, I tell you what, there is something that begins to flow inside of me. And in a sense, it, it, it hurts. It's like a little pain even because I love so much. And I care so much for this little one. And I even call it the father ache, where you begin to feel your insufficiency and you want to invest in this little life, but you feel like, how could I impact this life the way I have a dream to impact it? I am not complete. I am not fully yet what I should be as a man to be able to train up a man the way I have a vision to train. And so it's a fatherly ache. It's that same ache that comes into us as parents when we realize our our kids are growing up so quick. And it's just like, whoa, I just blinked, and they're another three years older? What's going on here? They're just springing up, and pretty soon they're going to be moving on. Ah! And it's an ache. Well, that ache is not like anger. It's not bad. It's good, but it doesn't always feel good. It actually is somewhat painful. It's sort of what splogon is. It's the tenderest affections that even lead to sacrifice. The cross wasn't necessarily fun, and yet it was an expression of that love. You see, when a father looks over into the bassinet, there's something liquid in it. And I I know that might sound funny, but it is, you see, it's tears. A little tear will drip from your eye. It's liquid. There's a liquid, and it's associated with affection. We know it is tears, but when you see God's affection shown at the cross, you know that there's liquid? It's blood. It's blood. And there's something that is shed. We shed tears and blood. And in that blood and in those tears, is an affection. It's not, you know, because there's different reasons why we cry. And this isn't the bad reasons. This is the good reasons. And in a sense, God is crying. He's bleeding. And he cares so deeply that he will shed his tears or his blood or his son in order to retrieve that which is lost. The father peeking over the crib. Tears, joy, and the ache of loving affection. That's what splogon is. So, splogon. The father's tears, the liquid affection of the father's heart, the stream of mercy, kindness, gentleness, and love. When you study the Bible, Old Testament and the New, you're going to begin to see that liquid is a part of the entire Hebrew system. The the prophetic culture that God has built always is talking about rivers. And there's this river that is going to come. There's this river that's going to break open in Jerusalem. There's a fountain there. And when anyone has a vision of God, they see a river flowing out from the throne. There's something that comes forth from where God is and it's likened into a river and it's called a living river to be specific, living waters, a river of life. And so what we have is this splogon. And that's what it is. In a sense, it's that river. It's a river that comes from the Father. The Father's tears, the liquid affection of the Father's heart, the stream of mercy, kindness, gentleness, and love. Introducing the Father's presence. The Father's presence is... I mean, when you take a little child and you take the Father's presence, the Father is huge compared to a little child. And a father has so much strength it could crush. I mean, it's not the healthiest way of thinking about it but that's a, a, a father could crush a little child and yet a little child in a time of danger in a time of storm in a time of confusion or when someone comes to visit and it's like oh hi there little one and what will they do they'll hide in the father's shadow they'll hide behind the father's leg isn't it funny that we run to something so much stronger and so much bigger and you see when we're cut off from the father you know how vulnerable we feel because we don't have anything to run to. We're looking for legs to run to. We're looking for a shadow to find shelter in. This is how the lost world is, and so they're looking for other shelters. They're looking for something else to meet that father dimension of their life, because something has come into their life, and they're afraid. There's fear, there's trepidation, but they are looking for that shadow. You see, Jesus is the means by which we can access the Father. And when we come unto Jesus, literally we are brought into the shadow of the Father. And we hold on to his leg. So introduced in the Father's presence, the child's destination in time of desperate need. It's a funny thing to come running to a father. Have you ever, well, at so many different angles. I could be talking to the fathers in here about wrestling with their children. You know, where you do the ha type of a thing. I mean, that could be rather scary. Could you imagine Mike Hahn doing that to Donaldson? I mean, that would be scary. Mike Hahn's six foot eight. Arrgh! I mean, but Donaldson knows that his father's intentions towards him are good. And as a result, a child will oftentimes run squ- straight to the father, even with his goony eyes and his, his you know, harr, growl, because even though he's an awesome creature, the father, we run because we trust him and we run straight to his legs. Access in the Heavenly Father's presence. Well, can you think of a stranger place to run than to the cross? Uh, Have you ever been told that the cross is a symbol of execution? When people come to the cross, they die. Well, how many of us are going to say, yeah, I'm going to run there in a time of need? We run to the cross. Why? Because we know that that is the place where we find the Father's affection. That is the place we find our rescue. It is actually, though it looks on the outside to be dangerous... It is actually our place of rescue. The church, that which is born out of the side of the last Adam. So this is going to talk about us. We are a bride. That's what the scriptures would describe us as. We're the bride. And yet we're born out of the side of the last Adam is what I'm saying. Do you remember how Eve was formed? She was formed out of the side or out of the rib of Adam. So he laid down to go to sleep. And God fashioned a bride out of his rib. Jesus was laid down. And he went to sleep, if you want to say it that way. And out of his side flowed something. And we were formed. The bride of Christ was formed out of the side of the what's known as the last Adam, Jesus Christ. God put Adam to sleep and formed the woman from his side. And she was bone of his bone and body of his body. Now, I want you to listen closely because this is where I'm going in this message. God put Jesus to sleep and formed the bride from his side. And the church is life of his life, splogon of his splogon. It's an amazing thing to think what we were formed out of. We were not formed out of a bone, we were formed out of living water. We were formed out of the life of God. That is what we are made out of. And just as Eve was bone of his bone and body of his body, we are splogon of splogon. We are being made of this very stuff of heaven, this love. And what is supposed to mark us as the body is this very splogon. You will know my disciples by their love for one another, by the fact that they are moved the way I was moved to save them. They are moved to save others. That's what's supposed to mark us. Jesus Christ. So in a very simple sense, I'm going to call him the splogon of the Father. He is the Annunciation. He is the messenger, the harbinger of the love of God. And so when you see him, you actually are getting the message from the Father saying, I really, really, really love you. I really, really, really love you. When you see Jesus, you get the invitation. You get the message. So we look at Jesus and we say, Father, you really, 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 really love me. Oh yeah, he really, 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 really loves you. So it's the splogon of the Father, the tears of the Father made flesh and poured out like a drink offering for the ones God so loved. So the church is the vessel that catches the liquid splogon, of the Father pouring out of the side of Christ and brims full and overflows with the tears of the Father, the deep affections of the Spirit. Now, for those of you that are more like me, I don't have a lot of uh, emotion. I'm not an emotional guy. I don't make my decisions based on emotion. I'm a very rational character. Last night, as the His Little Feet Choir was singing, I was crying. My whole body was shaking. And Abby was sitting on my lap. She couldn't quite figure out, you know, what was going on with Daddy because her understanding of tears is still associated with bad things, you know. So what is going on with Daddy? And so even though I'm not an emotional guy, there is a heavenly splog on that God gives us by His Spirit. And when we encounter things that are heavenly, it moves us in a very, very deep and intimate way. And that's what the church is. The church is Basically, as Jesus was an expression of the Father, so we are now a living messenger of the love of Jesus. So when people see us, they go, so that's how God loves. So that's what the cross was for. I see. You see, they understand the gospel by watching us. They understand the splogon of God by seeing us. The church, the body of Christ, the place from which the splogonian river flows. So there's a Splagonian to make up a, a word, river that flowed from the side of Jesus. And we could say, where did it go? Well, it just sort of landed in the dirt back there on Calvary. It's too bad, it's you know, all sort of soaked in. No, no. You see, that was a symbol, an external symbol. What we have is the Holy Spirit that was now, is cascading forth. And the fountain head of the Holy Spirit has no end. It's, it's like an endless fountain. So in other words, it never runs dry. See, a flash flood comes you know, and soaks into the, into the ground and is gone. But a river has a fountain head, and it never runs dry, and especially God's. And the Holy Spirit has been bequeathed to us. That very river of life, and we are the vessels that catch it. And yet, if we are catching that river into a little cup, uh, what happens? It flows over and out. So as a result, that's what the church is supposed to be. We are the vessels that God pours into, yes. But we are meant to also be the ones that share this love, just as Christ shared it with us. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, says Jesus, out of his belly, which means the innermost, shall flow rivers of living water. The innermost is oftentimes translated as heart, too. So belly, heart. I don't know how they get these different words. But what was Jesus... Where did the spear go? It went right into his heart. And many physicians would say, because blood and water came gushing out the way it did, that very likely Jesus had died from an imploded or a burst heart. That he had so much pain, so much agony, that literally his heart burst. And so when the, when the soldier put the spear in his side, outflowed blood and water. So God is literally giving the ache and the burden to Jesus. And then Jesus dies from that burden and gives. What does he give? He gives all of that life, that same spirit that was within him. It comes gushing out. And that is what we are catching. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, now out of our heart, as we catch it, then out of our lives will flow rivers of living water. So Spogon starts with God through the splogon, which is the tender mercy of our God, whereby the dayspring from on high hath visited us. And then splogon is not only for God. For God is my record, says Paul, how greatly I long after you all in the splogon of Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought to think of Paul actually sneaking a peek over the bassinet and looking at the church of Philippi and actually having a father's ache for him and a tender tear of affection? He cared about the church at Philippi the way God cares about us. How did he get that care? Did he whip it up in himself saying, I'm going to care like God cares? You can't care like God cares. What you need to do is receive the splogon of God. And when that river flows into you, now you have it to give. And Paul had it to give. Splogonian affection is what we as the church wear. It's actually our clothing. Put on therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved, splog on of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. What about the 5 degrees? So we started with the 5 degrees of fatherly love. So it seems like it's about time we get back to those 5 degrees. Our Father, I could say, loves us so 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 much that he isn't satisfied by just rescuing us from hellfire. You see, the concept of sanctification is an important understanding, an important piece in working Christianity. Because a lot of us have this notion that if I pray a prayer or I get someone else to just pray a prayer and believe in Christ, we're just sort of done. I mean, I'm not exactly, now we just need to survive uh, and get to heaven in the end. But what else is there? Well, there's a lot else. Uh, Our Father isn't satisfied by just rescuing us from hellfire. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So if we're dealing with a Father, that's one thing we need to know. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son he receives. So let's talk about sanctification. It's the great work of fatherly love. Now a lot of us have a misconception of sanctification, which is why this message is, is important. And the reason I started out with the Father is because I want you to realize the source of sanctification is not God just being a guy who you know, has his accounting books and he's like, all right, I don't want any sin in you. And so let me take an account of how you're doing. He comes walking by. He goes, ah, sin, check. He goes, you're going to deal with that this week. When I come back and check on you next week, I want that sin gone. All right, over here. Oh, sin. All right, you, I've, you I told you last week that there can be no more sin. You're out of here. We have this notion that sanctification, it comes from something very different than the love of God. When in actuality, it's the... Fountainhead of God's love that leads to what we know as sanctification. So, Jesus speaking in John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Now most of us when we see that might not be seen sanctification. However, that's exactly what it is. In this picture of a vine and branches, you would get the classic understanding of Christian justification and sanctification. Because by your identification by faith in trusting that vine to be the source of life, you are actually now included in the vine. So that vine's righteousness is bequeathed to you, and that's understood as justification. But also, that which is in the vine, which is life, which is a living sap that makes that vine live. That same sap, when you yield to that vine, and when you come to that vine and cling to that vine, now enters you. And what does it begin to do? It begins to purge you of all that is dead. It begins to remove from you all that is not like the vine. So that you can come to life and that you can now bear fruit that is like the rest of the vine. And that's how God works. And that is sanctification. Grafting. So in the idea of a vine, when you have a branch, which the terms in scripture are maybe different than the terms we would use today for grafting, but it's a scion. It's a young uh, sprig that has buds on it, that is actually going to be grafted into what's called the rootstock. And so grafting is the idea of taking something that is separate, something that is apart from that rootstock, that source of life, and actually cutting into both and then grafting them together. And so I want to walk through that real quick just to give you a mental picture. But it's the rootstock supplying life to the scion. So the scion is going to be like us. We are the young sprig that is desirous to seek after God and to bear his fruit. But apart from him, according to John 15, we cannot produce fruit. So we are a young Sion, but we don't have any ability to bear fruit. So we come unto the rootstock, and Jesus says, hey, that's me. I'm the one that has life. I'm the one that's grounded. I'm the one that has access to all the throne of grace. So when you enter into me, you will access all the nutrients of the soil and you will access the living sap. And so we humbly come unto that rootstock and say, count me in. So there's different types of graftings. And so I came across at least four different ways. So I was studying how to actually do this this week as if I was, you know, a vine dresser myself and had a vineyard out back. And I was going to, you know, try some new methods and I don't know what they used to use in ancient Hebrew times. So I'm just going to show you a couple different uh, ways that it's done. And both of them are quite profound. I even like the, the, the name of this one, the cleft graft. Uh, especially since that's a biblical concept of being hidden in the cleft of the rock. And so in this, even the name of it is really intriguing to me, the cleft graft. So in the cleft graft, what you're going to see is the young scion up there in A is going to need to be grafted into the rootstock, which is B. And for that to happen, both of them need to be cut. And and the the B, uh, this is Jesus Christ, is actually cut and there's a, a wound. There's an opening made because there's liquid in B. There is something in B that needs to be shared with A. And so to gain that they both need to be opened. They both need to become vulnerable if you will, and when they are united then that liquid from B is able to course into the open and ready A that has humbled itself and said I need to receive what you have, O rootstock. And then it's placed inside, which what is your position? In Christ. Yeah, for this message we can say in the rootstock, in the vine. You are in the vine, in his wound. His wound has created an avenue for, for you to access the liquid of God. That shed blood of Jesus that gives life is actually accessible to you. And then it's tied in place. And then there's like some kind of, I don't know if it's like a sap itself that seals it down. So that the liquid is actually preserved inside. The moisture is maintained. There's also something, I think this is quite profound. This is different than a branch being grafted in, but it's still pretty amazing. This is what's called a bud graft. And so look at that little bud. That, see the bud on the far left, that little thing? And the rootstock has actually opened up, and there's a wound made in the side of it for that bud to actually enter in and find life. That bud by itself cannot produce fruit. But if that bud yields itself into the wound of that rootstock, and then it's covered in that wound... And then it's bound in that wound, and it remains in that wound. If it remains in there, over time, you'll begin to see this bud actually spring forth and actually bear fruit, and that's called a bud graft. And I think that's an incredible picture of being in Christ right there. The life transfer. You see, what's taking place here is a transfer of life. You see, if you're the scion, or you're the branch, you're the bud... You cannot produce life outside of that rootstock, outside of that which has the living sap. And so what you need to do is yield yourself to it by faith and trust it. And as a result, the life, or in this case, the splogon, the river, the blood, the gift of grace is now given to you and you can have life. So living sap is transferred from him to you. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. So, this is the Feast of Tabernacles on the final day, which is an incredible thing because it's a whole bunch of branches that have been cut that form these lulabs. And the, the people actually are inside these living homes. That's actually the process that are, they're going through, even on this day. And Jesus, on this day, on the eighth day of the celebration, the priest will actually bring out water. No, it's going to be oil. And, and blood, I'm sorry, and wine. He's going to pour it in here and in here, and it's going to mix together in a cask. I think it's actually water. It's water from the pool of, uh, I don't remember which pool. And he's going to pour it in here and in here. It's going to run together and mix together. And this is right at the time Jesus is saying this. When blood and water are mixing together, Jesus stands up and he says, He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. I want you to focus on this simple fact, living water. When you hear the idea of living water, I mean, it's just sort of this extra special water. You know, like we have an alkaline water uh, thing in our home, and so some people would say, I, I bet it was alkaline. Uh, you know, in other words, it has to be really healthy water. I mean, because this is God water. Yeah, but living, life water, the river of life, there's something to a Hebrew that's very important for you to understand, but life and blood are synonymous with each other. And so when you take blood and water and mix them together, what you have is something known as living water, or life water, or a river of life. Or in a different part of the Bible, they call it a fiery stream. What color would a fiery stream be? It would be red. What color would a living water be? Well, I know it sounds strange, but the color of life in this, uh, to the Hebrew would be red. And so you have, like wine, would be a symbol of life water, a living water. So, But this is symbolic of what we can call the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to enter into those that believe and then flow out of them. This is a river, a living river. That which is in the rootstock enters into the branch. As the vine dresser tends to this ever-increasing transfer of life with his kindly pruning shears, the life in the branch more closely resembles the life of the vine year after year. So this is the process of sanctification. You have a vine dresser, the father, that's what Jesus even calls him, who's actually going to tend to the development of this plant. You, very specifically, to this scion, to this branch, to this addition to the life. That which is connected to the life... For it to maintain health, it must be overseen. Now, one thing that has been proven true to me since I have some flowers out back, and I've been famous throughout my life of planting things and then they die. Uh, you know, some people have a green thumb, that's not me. I'm not exactly sure what color my thumb is, but it definitely has not proven green. So usually Sandy will come over to a certain season and she'll rescue my plants. And then people come over, like, your plants really look nice, oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, And so one thing I've recognized is that the signs of life aren't necessarily... I want you to listen to this, because this is very interesting. The signs of a healthy plant aren't that it doesn't need to be deadheaded. In other words, like my petunias, I was out there uh, deadheading petunias and marigolds this morning. And the fact that I'm deadheading, or I see something that is dead on it, does not mean it's an unhealthy plant. The fact that I need to come and address its issues does not mean it's unhealthy. But if I didn't address it, it would become unhealthy. You see, the fact that you still need to be tended to as a plant in God's kingdom, as a branch, isn't a sign that you don't have life, and isn't a, isn't a sign that you're not growing and being sanctified. It's actually a sign that you're alive. So the fact that God is removing all dead works from you is so that you can produce even more fruit. He prunes those he loves. So he is a good caretaker for his plants, a lot better than I am. And as a result, he can see signs of life, signs of deterioration. But if I saw a plant that was withered up, that was just dead, I can tell the difference between that and one that needs to be deadheaded. Sorry to use a big word, but that's like when you remove the the dead little uh, buds that, well, blossoms, I don't know what they're exactly called. See, flowers, botany is not, I took botany in college, but I don't know how well that's helping me right now. It doesn't mean that it's a dead plant just because it has dead heads. But if you don't tend to them, if God didn't tend to these things, if he didn't convict us afresh and say, hey, let's get rid of those dead works so that we can grow more fruit. You see, his motivation for sanctification is fruit is actually a greater expression of the splogon. Hagiazol. That's actually the word that is used for sanctify or sanctification in the New Testament when that river is going through us, when it is purging us, when the Father is deadheading us, this is the word, hagiosel. Now, hagios is the word for holy in the Bible. And so this is the verb, the action of it. To sanctify, to cleanse, to purify internally, to prune. As a vine dresser might the branch of a vine. And so when you are being sanctified, you are being pruned. And ironically, that's not a negative thing. That's a very positive thing. You see, when, and that's what we need to realize. This conviction is like a pruning. And God's saying, hey, right here, right here. Let, hey, let me take care of that. And we're like, ouch! Hey, gay! hey, don't do that. I don't want those shears near me. And yet if we don't submit to the one who is wise, the one who knows how to get the fruit out of us, then we actually hinder the Spirit of God. And we are quenching what God is desiring to do. The grape. You see, when you have a healthy branch, it doesn't just turn green, it doesn't just have leaves, it actually bears fruit. And that fruit is very specific. It's grapes, clusters of grapes. In fact, the clusters of grapes that were in the land of promise needed to be carried out by two men. What do you think that's a picture of? The land of promise. You see, we have exceeding great and precious promises. God wants to begin to bear fruit in and through us. Fruit so big that it takes two men to carry it out of the land. So the grape, what is a grape? It's a little storage container for all the joy, life, and love of the vine. Filled to the maximum, designed for the transfer of life juice. You see, if you have a little grape skin, and it's not full completely, it's not a very good grape. It's sort of awkward, in fact. We're like, it's like gushy, right? But what you want is like fat. You want it like maxed out. That's exactly right. God wants to teach you how to max out those grapes. Those grapes are getting ever uh, sweeter and ever bigger. The evidence of Hagiazo, the evidence of sanctification, the evidence of this work taking place within us, bigger and bigger grapes. So let's go back to the river of life. These things are all going to tie together. So Jesus likened uh, the river of life or the living river to the Holy Spirit. And so what we have is, in the book of Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, long before Jesus came, there is a picture given to us. And this picture is an amazing picture of what Jesus is going to do in the future. So it's a Christophany. It's it's a statement of how the gospel is going to work in us. So afterward, he, God, brought me again unto the door of the house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. You see, this is a house... And out of this house is flowing a river. I know, it's strange to think of a river flowing out of a house. And yet this is a picture of Jesus. Out of Jesus flowed a river. Out of this house. Remember, Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. But the temple of which he spoke, the house of which he spoke, was his body. The body of Christ is the house from which the river flows. And do you know what you're called as the church? The body of Christ. The body of Christ is the chosen vehicle, it's the source of the fountain, and the fountain gushes forth from within us, it's the Holy Spirit that is given to us, and then it floods out of the house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under, from the right side of the house at the, si- at the south side of the altar." Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looks eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured 1,000 cubits and he brought me through the waters. So I'm gonna give you a mental picture that God gives in the Old Testament for how sanctification works. You see, you've been given the river. However, you need to walk and agree with the progression of this river in your life. And so the man of God measures it out, and he measures 1,000 cubits and says, come on. And so he starts walking. Ezekiel starts walking in the river. And he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. And so is he in the river? Yes, of course he is. But is he fully in the river? Well, it's up to his ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through. The waters were to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand. It was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. You're seeing the progression of what we could call sanctification, growth and maturity of the Christian life. The full perfecting process of the Spirit of God at labor and at work within the Christian. When you first come to Jesus, you're not swimming. In fact, some of us are just staring at a river. And God's like, hey, get into the river. And so really like, am I supposed to get in? Yeah, yeah, get in the river. And we start walking. We're like, whoa, a little chilly. He's like, come with me. You see, he's walking us into an ever-deepening relationship with that slog on. God has given us all we need for life and godliness, but a lot of us aren't necessarily in agreement with forward progression. Hey, I prayed a prayer, aren't I? Fine the five depths of spirit hagiazo, so spirit sanctification. A fountain opens. Well, you know what? In your house, a fountain has opened. If you've come unto Jesus Christ, a fountain has begun. You've been connected to the splogon of God. Now, some of us are like, I don't feel very connected. In other words, how does this work? That's what I'm going to go through. Because a lot of us need to recognize that God has accomplished something. And by faith, we have received something, but we have hindrances in our life that are actually affecting our ability to walk in the realities of these things. So a fountain opens, and it's up to the ankles, it's up to the knees, it's up to the waist, and it's waters that completely envelop. And so as we begin to progress, we see that there is an ever-increasing river. And this is the process of Christian growth. The same Holy Spirit... I mean, it's not like the Holy Spirit is changing after you measure 2,000 cubits. Now suddenly the Holy Spirit changes color. The Holy Spirit is the life of God and you have access to it the entire way, but you must progress. You must allow God to continue his work and he, draw, and he brings you into deeper waters. And I've given this principle to you many times, but God proves us on little so that he can entrust us with more. If we are unwilling when we get up to the ankles to stay in there, well, we're not gonna progress up to the knees. We must be in agreement with the river. We must walk in the course of the river. We must go where the Spirit goes. Otherwise, we will not deepen. And we can quench what God is desiring to do in our life. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Whammo! We have sanctification right there. The Holy Spirit has been given in Jerusalem. Jesus dies in Jerusalem, and the temple veil is rent in two, and the Father, all of His river, is ready to now gush forth into Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit was also poured out in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, boom! There it is! We have the answer to Zechariah 13.1. It took place in the life of Jesus. Sanctification. What does it mean? The common understanding of sanctification would be the Holy Spirit's removal of the unholy. So you have unholy things, things that are not like God in your life, and so God's going to come in and say, hey, let's get that out. That's true. So I don't want to say that that's not true. However, I want to put a different angle on it, almost like the father affection angle on it, of why God is doing what he's doing. Because the reason I discipline my children isn't because I just like discipline. I want my kids to obey. That, you see, I do, but why? Why? I want them to be prepared to yield to Jesus Christ, to see Jesus, and to reveal Jesus in and through their behavior. I want Jesus to be the focus of their life, and discipline is a critical spot. I must prune my children so that greater fruit can be born. And so when we look at sanctification merely as God just disciplining, saying, yes, correct that, correct that, correct that, we miss the very nature of God in the process of Christian growth. So I'm going to say a little shift of the perspective would be, well, sanctification is the Holy Spirit's impartation. Not just the removal, but the impartation of all that is holy. You see, we look at God taking away all that is unholy, but have we ever thought of the fact that God's trying to give himself to us? And when you have a glass full of dirty water, and God's like, hey, I have some living water for you, and we're like, yeah, and he's like, "Uh, you got some dirty water. That's not his focus. His focus is, I want to give you living water. So what do we need to do? Dump out the dirty. And so we need to give up things. We need to relinquish things so that we can now receive the greater. We can receive the life. If we hold on to death, then death reigns. But if we relinquish that which is killing us, then life can reign. And that's what sanctification is. So here's another common understanding of sanctification with a word that you wouldn't typically use. The Holy Spirit's removal of all that is anti-life, or you could say anti-Christ. You see, there's Two powers that be. You have the power of darkness, the devil, darkness, uh, and death. I mean, that's all the, the bad stuff. And then you have the powers of life. You have the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit. So flesh and spirit, the two. And so Holy Spirit is the removal of all that is flesh, all that is dark, all that is anti-Christ spirit. And we have that type of stuff lingering in our life. We have bad attitudes, bad behaviors, bad habits that need to be rooted out And just, they need to get out of us and out of the church. So that, let me give you even a better definition. The Holy Spirit's labor to increase the flow of life within the believer. So I'm going to use the the, uh, picture, the metaphor of a pipeline. And if a pipeline is blocked because of a whole bunch of garbage, uh, God has life that he wants to get through the pipeline. Not just to you, but to everyone in your life. But what's hindering it? Garbage. So, God's coming in to say, hey, let's remove the garbage. Why? Just because he likes to remove garbage? No, because he likes to give life. The motivation of God is to give life. He says, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that more abundant. That's his motivation. He's bringing life. And yet, the enemy has brought death. And so, when we still agree with past patterns of how the enemy has conned us, then life is hindered. But God is going to correct that. He's going to renew our minds. He's going to renew our behavior so that we agree with him and we say, that's trash. That's actually hindering what you want to do. And he says, yes. And that's sanctification. He is working on getting that trash out, yes. But his main goal is to get life in. So big S and small S, sanctification. You've heard me talk about salvation. Big S, salvation. You see, big S, salvation is when you come unto Jesus Christ and you believe. And you are saved. It's a big S salvation. That means saved at the coming judgment. Saved from the punishment of hell. uh, And the punishment that comes with sin and being a sinner. And so this is big S. However, there's a small S salvation too. And that is that you need to be saved in every moment of every day. Because you have an enemy. You live in hostile territory. And you are constantly being baited and enticed towards compromise. And so as a result, you need a small S salvation. Salvation constantly. It's not the big S. It's the small S. And most of us don't understand that though we are saved with a big S, we also are being saved in a small S way constantly. God is a father. He's a vine dresser and he's caring for the the branch so that it doesn't bring death. It doesn't die. He is caring for it to cultivate life. And so the same is true with sanctification. When you come unto Jesus, you are considered a saint of God. And yet your behavior might not be saintly, and yet you believed and therefore you are clothed in the righteousness of God and considered set apart, which is what a saint is. It's a set apart one. So you become a saint. No longer are you a sinner. However, you're a saint that still has a propensity to have dead heads. You see, it doesn't mean that you're a dead plant. You're actually a living plant. However, you have dead works still that are lingering around the edges that need to be pruned, that need to be pulled off. And God is a vine dresser and he wants to work on the saints to continually sanctify that saint to reveal more and more of his life. Man is never able to disconnect from the vine and still show the sign of life. And so as a branch, when you connect to that vine, you have life. And there's never a point when you become a good enough branch where you can say, thanks God for the head start. I'm going to just cut off now and I'm going to plant myself over here. You see, he is the root And he is what creates the offspring. You see, you must depend on him, the root. And as a result, that fruit will come. But the moment you cut off from him as the root, you would have no life. And so forever and all eternity, that's the case. There is never a point in time when you can cut off from that root. The sign of life is always found solely in abiding in the vine. So signs of life. Now, this is not going to seem like a sign of life, but this is the reason I'm actually giving this message. I'm building... Towards a thought within a body. Because I've been going through in a sense a series of sorts. The way I would go through a series. And it's on character. It's on how we behave as a church together. And when it comes to sanctification it's actually very important. The reason is. Is because you need to know. That your leadership in this church. Is not finished. But that I am in a process of being pruned and bettered by God. And being polished to showcase the fullness of life. And when we get the misunderstanding that anyone who has lived a Christian life for five years better have their act together, well, that's partly true. If you've given your life to Jesus, there should be evidence of growth and development. But there is never a ceasing to the vine dresser examining every one of us. In other words, God came to me this morning and pulled off a little uh, deadhead petunia. And I'm like, what's that doing there? Well, it's because he cares about my life. And yet that deadhead petunia doesn't mean I'm dying and I'm withering over here. It just means that he checked me on an attitude. He's like, hey, tone of voice. Huh? Does God still correct me? You better believe it. In fact, I'm almost convinced that he corrects me more than he does everyone else. You see, it's a more intense and introspective examination that I feel you enter into the further you progress in the depths of this river. And so as a result, it's not the exclusion of conviction. In this sense, it's almost the presence of a greater conviction and a greater responsibility. So the vine dress- this is a sign of life. The vine dresser is always examining you. If you have grown to some point where you're no longer being examined and convicted, you know what? Something might not be healthy. Deadness is continually being cut away. Deadhead. How do, how do, I, how do I? Why, God, do I still have a dead head there? It doesn't mean you're dead. It means you had a dead head. And that needs to be plop. I really like the marigold. I learned how to uh, deadhead marigolds uh, this year. And I tell you what, that's actually fun. My kids are loving it, too. It's like plop. And I make a little pile of them. Uh, it's, it's actually really fun. If any of you haven't done it, you should try it. It's really fun. I, I could just see God. That's probably what, like sanctification. All right, deadheading. And he goes out and he's deadheading the church. There is a clear sense of need for the vine and the living sap within him. This is a sign of life. I need the vine. And I need that living sap. And as you are continually growing with Christ, you know what you're realizing? I can't ever leave this vine. Because we have our moments where we begin to think we've got it all together in our Christian life. And what does God do? In his sanctifying process, he begins to show us all the more how much we need that vine and how we realize that we have no life outside of Him. The fruit of love for others is another sign of life. You see, if I don't care about others, if I don't have love, if that splogon is not flowing through me towards you, that would be a sign of death. But when I have that care, when I have that love, that's a sign of life. But the sign of life isn't perfection in our behavior. It's these things. This is actually a sign of health in the church. It's not the absence of weakness. It's the presence of God's perfecting. God taking our weakness and constantly directing it. The God pipeline. So here's our picture for you. I know it's really impressive. You got heaven up in the left-hand corner, and you got earth down in the lower right. So we're down here in the earth, and you see that bottom part of the blue pipeline that connects to the, the spot with the gate valve? That middle section with the gate valve, with the red valve, that's Jesus. Jesus. You see, he's the one that connects us to the heavenly splogon. So the top portion, you could call it the father or the throne room of grace. You see, you have no connection. Imagine being disconnected from that, just being a pipe. And you're like, yeah, I'm a pipe. I was created in the image of the heavenly pipe. Yeah, but you're disconnected from the heavenly pipe. And as a result, you're an empty pipe. What's the good of a pipe that doesn't have the splogon coursing through it? What a joke. We were created to carry heaven's stuff into this earth. And yet, when you're cut off, you have nothing. So, what is Jesus? Jesus is the one that connects us to the heavenly pipe. And so, that gate valve is merely faith in Christ. He says, Do you believe me? Do you believe that I've connected you to the Father? Turn this. And when we turn it, what happens? The splogon of heaven actually through Jesus, through the side of Jesus, comes coursing into us. We are grafted into Christ. And as a result, that which is of the Father enters us, the Holy Spirit. And we now become carriers of the splogon of heaven. Sanctification. When the God pipeline connects with the human pipeline in Christ. Sanctification is not instant. Uh, there's those that have accused me of believing in instant sanctification and Christian perfectionism. I'm not exactly sure if these people have ever heard me teach, but I have never taught that in my life. I am one that understands the perfection of Jesus Christ and the fact that when we are clothed by faith in him, we are deemed perfect in heaven's eyes. We are able to now approach the throne of grace, but not in our own perfection, in his perfection. Not in our own works of righteousness, in his. And when we approach the throne of grace, now we have access unto the pipeline, unto the splogon, unto the Holy Spirit, to enter into us, very imperfect characters, known as humans, to actually begin to be the process of perfecting us. And that's called Sanctification. It's just like maturity. Maturity doesn't happen overnight. I have a little baby born, Hudson's born, and the next day he's not 30 years old. He actually has to grow up. And the same is true with a Christian. You don't just become instantly mature. You must grow up. And that is true with every graft. When you graft something in, it doesn't immediately bear big, huge, luscious grapes. It must actually be tended to over a long period of time. And as a result, the first signs of life are not grapes, but limberness of the branch. It's the living It's alive! A little leaf comes out. Oh! How exciting! A little teeny grape. Oh! You see, these are the signs of life. It's not the full maturity. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. So one of the reasons we have a challenge is when we first come to Jesus Christ and receive the gift of life, the gift of the Holy Spirit, these living waters, we have issues. Because our pipeline has been used for us. We have been using our pipeline, and the enemy has condescended to thinking the more junk you can stick in your pipeline, the better. It works. And so our entire pipeline is packed full of junk, all sorts of darkness, deceit, lies. And so what needs to begin to happen is for that life to begin to flow through our pipeline, God needs to start changing our pipeline. It doesn't mean we're not connected to Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we don't have access to the Holy Spirit. It just means the Holy Spirit's not really getting a lot of movement uh, in and through our life. We've got a lot of junk here. So the pipeline is still blocked by the big stones. So we've got some huge stones of darkness and deceit that are just made of poison itself. And they block the whole thing. If you have a stone just like blocking the whole circular tube, what's going to happen when the, when the water comes? Yeah, none of the water is going to get through. And so the first thing God's going to touch in our life are the big things. There are some big stones in our life. And then even if big stones are removed, you know what's stacked behind it? just all sorts of dark river rock, you know, poisonous stuff. It's just like if the water ever touches it, it just sort of taints it. There's just tons of river rock in there just packed in behind the big stones. And then if you even get the river rock out, now you have pebble and debris that still remain. And see, this is the process. Now, with every step forward, there's more flow of life coming through, but is God done? There's actually a greater level of purification, even though it's at a more micro level. The things God's dealing with actually feel petty. I just want to forewarn you. The things that God begins to deal with is attitude, Eric. Attitude. Thought, Eric. You guard that thought. There is not even a moment's time that you give heed and let that thought come in. When I first became a Christian, I wasn't dealing with just that thought and that attitude. I was dealing with big dog issues. Big stuff. It's like, whoa, I got some issues here. God, can you help me? Well, God did help me. But he's still helping me, and God is sanctifying Eric Lutie. So five degrees of fatherly love. When I talk about how this slogan enters into our life, I'm gonna go through the same five degrees that Ezekiel walked in. And we're gonna go through five degrees of what we could call sanctification. Because he loves us too much to leave us the way he found us. God doesn't just rescue us, he rescues us. He doesn't just rescue us from hell, He rescues us from all the junk and all the debris and all the deadheads in our life. He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to have this vessel actually be a carrying device of his life and to change the world around us. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So let's look at the first degree. So in the church... You know, you can ask, so when is someone ready for leadership? If you're at degree one in your sanctification, you are not fit to lead the church. However, if you think you have to be excluded completely or have graduated from sanctification to be a leader in the church, none of us would ever lead. Does that make sense? So how does this all work? Well, degree one is what most of us deal with when we first come unto Christ. But many of us in the modern church, because of the way we teach today have never allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and convict and to actually drive behaviors out because we're under grace and we're fine. God doesn't care about that stuff. Well, and as a result, your life stinks. Your life does not show any of the glory of God. However, you believe in Jesus. Yay. But God intended so much more. We cut off the flow of water. So these are the big stones of spiritual deadness. Strongholds and vice grips. If you were to liken our life to a house, now this is a mixed metaphor and I am going to acknowledge that as we begin. We have the pipeline metaphor and now I'm also going to liken you to a house. God's the one that came up with the mixed metaphor. How many fountains and rivers flow out of a house? Okay, so we have sort of the same thing. But we have missing walls. Now, if you're missing walls in your house, how well is your house handling the uh, temperature changes outside, the windy conditions, the snow, the sleet, the rain... You see, it has no barrier against it. And as a result, these are called strongholds and vices. Lust is a heavy-duty stronghold amongst the men in our generation. Fear and anxiety, massive stronghold amongst women. I'm not saying that women don't struggle with lust. I'm not saying that men don't struggle with fear and anxiety. I'm just saying these are big issues, big stones that are hindering the flow of water in our life. In other words, most of us have, I can't tell you how many times in the church people have justified lust amongst men. It's like, oh yeah, all of us have that. Yeah, God just gives grace to it. Just try not to do anything really bad. And as a result, we leave a huge rock that is hindering the flow of splog on life in us. Well, fear, anxiety, pride, greed, criticism, and judgment in the church. I mean, these are huge things that are actually hindering the flow of life into your life and through to others. Unforgiveness? Oh boy, enormous rock. And the most basic elementary school things when we come to Christ. It's like, you've been forgiven, now forgive. Some of us 20 years into our Christian walk are still struggling with deep-seated bitterness from years before. You see, we have not been discipled to know how to deal with these basic things. You have the life. Now let it work in you. Big stones are bad, yet the focus in sanctification is not on the big stones, but on the resurrection life of Jesus that is able to step forth as a result of the big stone being rolled away. You see, when big stones are rolled out of the way in our life, what happens? Life begins to course in. You see, the focus of sanctification isn't just big stones. Like God is all interested in your big stones. No, the only reason he's going to ever point out a big stone in your life is so he can get more life into you. He's like, hey, that's hindering you. Do you mind if I roll that away? It's like, I, you're trying to push it out of the way. He's like, oh, it's too big. It's not too big for me. You see, he knocks those things out of the way, but you must allow him to. Degree two, the river rock of selfishness. So When God continues his work in our life, he starts to deal with the affections and affinities. You notice that when you first come to Christ and he rolls away a big stone like of lust, you still sort of desire impure things but you're trying not to do them. You see, God is working in you, but you still love sin. Excuse me, that's not healthy. And so what does he begin to do? He begins to work on that dimension. Eric, are you ready to love the things I love? Are you willing to agree with my change of life within you, the renewal of mind where you begin to think as I think towards sin and think as I think towards righteousness? And the fear of God begins to increase in our life and pretty soon our affections are changed and actually we begin to hate sin we hate it. We don't just try not to do it. We begin to hate it. And that's the process of sanctification. See, it's more life. When we agree with God, we begin to behave as God towards that which is hindering our life. And so we're going to call those open doors. You see, when you begin to put up walls, you still have some windows and holes, uh, holes of windows and doors that aren't there. Now you're doing a lot better in the bad weather, but if you're missing doors, things can get in that shouldn't be getting in. And so as a result, God's going to say, let's put on some doors. River rock is bad, yet the focus in sanctification is not on the river rock, but on the river of life that can finally flow freely in and through your life when the river rock is removed. Degree three, the pebbles of darkness. You've gone from big stones to river rock to now little pebbles. And for most of us, this is where we oftentimes stall in sanctification because we're like, that is so pathetic. I mean, come on, God. I don't see anyone around me being convicted about that. There's no way I'm going to say, yeah, go ahead and keep searching me. I don't want to make that right. If I get up in front of this group and confess that, they're going to think, are you serious? And yet, God is serious. You see, God is testing you at a deeper level. We're going to call these vulnerabilities and tendencies. You see, for some of us, well, every one of us has vulnerabilities and tendencies that might be slightly different. Okay, Some of us have the same, like the the wooing of the flesh and self-exaltation. We all have it. However, like alcohol, I have no taste for alcohol in my life. None. And I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say I really do not like this stuff. It's like disgusting to me. And as a result, I could say here, hey guys, I want you to stay away from alcohol, okay? Because those of us that are really pure and sanctified, we don't even have a taste for it. Well, I've never had a taste for it, okay? So there's no bragging here. However, I do have a taste for sports. And sports is one of those things that... I mean, I just walk by a newspaper and I see. I mean, I can fill my... I know exactly what's happening with the Broncos, with the Rockies, at any given point in the year, and yet I haven't read an article. How does it work? It's a vulnerability, and I'm very aware of it, that distracts me from the kingdom of heaven. I'm not even saying sports is bad. I'm saying it's bad for me. And so as a result, I know my tastes. I know my vulnerabilities. And so God will test me on certain points. Eric, whoa, whoa. Where are your thoughts right now? What are you thinking about there? You know, in your quiet time with me? What are, you, what are you doing there? See, it's a tendency and a vulnerability to be distracted. And God begins to refine the focus of our mind, the focus of our every thought, where our eyes go. Eric, where did you just look? Uh, I, I just. Uh, uh. Eric? And he'll, he prunes, he pulls off a deadhead. These eyes for my purposes, these hands for my purposes. This, this nose, this mouth, this heart, these feet, for my purposes, this is my body, this mind, thinks my thoughts, Think on these things, Eric. He's refining at every point, we're going to call those the open windows. You see, you might have walls now, you might have doors, but if you don't have windows in, guess what? You got a lot of insects coming in at night, spiders and flies and moths, yuck, and so as a result, let's get those windows in. Because when it turns cold outside, I mean, you definitely don't want to not have those windows. Pebbles are bad, yet the focus and sanctification is not on the remaining pebbles, but on the clearer picture of Jesus Christ that will shine forth when those pebbles are finally dealt with. And God continues to work. The debris of the devil. This is like... Now we're getting down to little dirt and small, you know, debris. You you got some lints there and just like stuff that's remaining. If you've ever cleaned out a big room, it's like you get all the big stuff out and you start cleaning up. You still got little things lingering in the corners. And it's like, oh, boy, we still need to deal with that. Attitudes, tones of voice, thoughts, words spoken, words not spoken. Instant obedience in all matters. We're going to call these gaps. You've got the walls up, you've got the doors in, you've got the windows in, but you haven't put the sealant around. You've got some big holes around the outsides of these things. However, your house is taking shape. And with every step, with every conviction, you know that when you're in degree four, conviction feels exactly like it did in degree one. And you're just as shocked by the frailty and the weakness of yourself as a branch. It's like, oh God, why didn't I speak to that person the gospel? Well, God, that's a deep level of sanctification, too. In other words, God's working a deep work, but you're finding that you are a coward. It's like, oh, God, I should have spoken that, and I didn't. You see, God is not letting you get away. He's saying, I want you to reveal me because I had something to say. And so this is sanctification. Don't push it off. Don't justify it. These are things that people on the outside may not see, may not understand, and may not know. But if you rebel against God, if you harden your heart to these things, it actually hinders the flow of water through you debris is bad yet the focus in sanctification is not on the remaining debris but on the sparkling life-giving river waters that will cascade forth as a result and degree five the fine dust of imperfection fine dust for whatever reason god has a nose for the fine small little dinky things in our life motives and intents. you may do the right thing you may stand up to help the orphan, and everyone around you applauds you. And guess what? God comes in and says, "So why? Why did you do that?" Well, God, I'm just doing it because I, you know, I'm father to the fatherless, just a good guy. You've taught me well, God. Why did you do it, Eric? Well, God, do we need to go there? I mean, isn't it good that I just did it, Eric? Why? I just wanted to look good. I wanted them to think highly of me. Oh God, I'm so sorry. In other words, the motives and the intents of the why you are even doing it come into scrutiny, and God is pruning all of the deadness. You wanted them to laugh at you. You wanted them to hear you when you worshiped. Isn't that the funniest thing? When you're thinking about someone near you, and they're like, they're going to like my voice. It's like, how bizarre is that? Here you are worshiping Jesus Christ, thinking about the person next to you and how, what they're thinking about your voice. And some of you are thinking, nope, never had that thought in my life. You see, these are very fine tunings of the the soul before God. Now, God could be working on this at the same time he's working on some bigger stuff in your life. But the point is that God doesn't stop. All throughout your life, God is going to continually be working on you. And that isn't a bad sign. That's a good sign. So these are tiny gaps in the house, around the doors and the windows that God begins to fill in. You see, he's fortifying your life. Dust is bad, yet the focus in sanctification is not on the remaining residue of dust, but on the fact that God is saving the believer to the uttermost and is willing to persevere within us in order to ensure that nothing, no matter how small it may seem, will taint the pure waters flowing out of this temple. So when I was reading uh, The Cross and the Switchblade, it was earlier this year, there was a story in it of a young man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a heroin addict. And medically speaking, it is impossible to overcome a heroin addiction. You just can't do it. And so it's basically lifelong until it kills you. And David Wilkerson was basically asking God the question God, are you defined by that? Or can you rescue someone from a heroin addiction? And David Wilkerson saw some incredible things. But he was giving the interesting thing about Cross the Switchblade is it's very honest about his journey. And so he's giving the story of a heroin addict who actually comes off heroin. And changes and gives it up. However, usually right around the year point is when there's a fresh wave of, because there's vulnerabilities. And if we, when in our sanctification, begin to ignore God, we become extremely vulnerable to repeating and going back like dogs to vomit. It does not mean we're not alive. It just means we have tremendous susceptibility. And so right, for a heroin addict, it was right around a year, I think, that the, the statement was that there was a heavy-duty Pull. Uh, because this was so a part of their psyche and so a part of their physiology, because heroin literally rules you with an iron scepter, and so right around a year point, this man had been doing well, and he started to you know really be craving, and he's like, I don't want it, but I oh I just feel so vulnerable, and so they were praying for him, and it, the whole church was standing with him, and he seemed to be doing really well, and he he wanted to go and visit someone, and so. David Wilkerson was a little hesitant in letting him go because of the vulnerable state he was in, but he thought, you know what, I can't keep him here. You know, he's only here of his own accord, so if he wants to go, then I'm going to bless him in going. And the man didn't return. Quite a few days, he just went silent. And someone brought back word that he had gone back to heroin. And, I mean, his, David Wilkerson's heart just dropped. It's like, you've got to be kidding. I mean, the investment that went into these these people were so extreme, and then after a year, oh, it was just crushing. And I don't know how much later it was, but the man actually came and found David. And he said, uh, you might have heard. And David said, yeah, I did. He said, well, because the man felt so dirty, so unable to approach the throne of grace again. You know what the man had done? He took heroin once. That's all. He hadn't gone back to heroin. He took it once, and he told David, he said, I've never been so miserable in my life. There was no pleasure in it. It didn't work. All it did was bring death to me. You see, he had the Holy Spirit, and that which was being injected in was contrary. Sin did not fit in his life anymore. It had no pleasure. Some of you have probably found that out. You still have the vulnerability. You're still in hostile territory. You're still temptable. But when you have participated in dead works, there is no satisfaction in them anymore. You can't return. You belong to Jesus Christ. This stinks. Sin and the saint do not work well together. You see, you belong to Jesus Christ and you're in a process of sanctification. Even if you fall, God is going to teach you something through that failure. And you know what? That man has access into the throne of grace immediately. He still belongs to Jesus Christ. He's still connected. Just Because you tried to stuff some garbage in the pipeline doesn't mean God's not capable and, and able to remove it again. You belong to Jesus Christ. Pastoral staff meeting. Is it alright to have a leader in the church that is still confessing making mistakes? Now I wish all of you could just be in every one of our pastoral staff meetings. I've had that thought quite a few times. it make for rather awkward pastoral staff meetings but there's a reason for it. And is I'd love for you to just watch these men I'd love for you to watch how the Holy Spirit is working on us as a group before we ever go in to pray for someone for healing we all go around and we say let's allow the Holy Spirit to search us and to try us and usually we go around for quite some time and confess usually it's motives thoughts intents it's vulnerabilities it's not big stones But at the same time, it might seem awkward to someone on the outside. It's like, wait a minute, my whole pastoral leadership team is like confessing sin. Well, it depends on how you look at it. We're not confessing big stones. We're not confessing committing adultery. I just went out and murdered someone last night. I probably need to make that right. We're dealing with small things that that God is not letting go. And so before everyone, we need to make these things right. There was one of our uh, pastoral leaders this last Monday... And it was one of the most beautiful things. Uh, he just started sharing something very specific that he walked through and how God was mortifying him over how he handled his thoughts in that exact moment. And every single one of us in this room, not just in the room of the pastors, would say, fully understand, you know what it does to us? It brings a wave of sanctifying conviction this way. It's like the splogon splashes over. It's like, God, I just want to love you with every thought every movement of my eye. I want to honor you. You see, sanctification is love towards us and a loving response back. I want to love you well. I want this world to see you. And so as a result, I don't want you to fear it. I want you to embrace it. I want you to open that gate valve and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to remove the debris. Remove all that is hindering the flow of life in you. Laboring to build a church that understands sanctification. You see, when we exalt our leaders into being rootstock instead of branches, we really mess up Christianity. Every single one of us in here is a branch. And as a result, we always are branches. Now, some of us are bearing more fruit than others. However, we're still all dependent upon the same thing. We're still vulnerable to the same deadness entering into our branch if we do not heed the Holy Spirit. You could walk with the Holy Spirit in intimate obedience for 40 straight years, and cut off God for a season, and your branch will begin to dry up. You will begin to show the signs of death and disease. So as a result, you have a vine dresser known as a loving father who cares for you, and he'll give you conviction. He also surrounds you with other branches nearby that when they respond properly to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know what it does to you? It convicts you. You see, when the body of Christ is healthy around us, it convicts us. It doesn't even need to be God directly saying something to us. It's through the mouth of a believer, and God is speaking directly to us. And so when we all heed the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst, it actually cleanses and prunes all of us as branches. Paul, speaking to Titus, who is running a church, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul, you weren't like that. You're one of the good guys. And Paul says, we were all like this. We were all bearing bad fruit. We were all dead. And so be gentle, be loving, be humble in how you deal with the other branches. Because every single one of us is needing sanctification. Every single one of us has used this branch to bear the wrong thing. But when the kindness and the love of of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now look at the flow. The, The grammatical flow is awkward. But I made it bold so you would see it. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to remove the middle part, not because it's not important. It's just a parenthetical statement. When the kindness and love of our God, when the splog on affection of our God, our Savior, toward man appeared in Jesus Christ, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If you have come unto Jesus, the gate valve is opened, and the Holy Spirit has been made yours to cleanse you and wash you, but also to make you holy. And he's going to convict you. I can just let you know ahead of time. And that conviction, don't don't get upset at it, or also don't think it's a seasonal thing. Like, oh boy, when I finally get done with this conviction season of my Christian life. Conviction is sweet. To those who love Jesus. There's a little sting to it at times. I understand that. However it's sweet. And just because you're convicted. Doesn't mean you need to be ashamed of it. Either. Because oh, I should be getting past all these things. There are certain things you shouldn't continue in. If you're still a level one. Or a degree one. uh, Sanctification. You've been 20 years a Christian. Those are signs that you were not necessarily grounded. Very properly. Because. You should work past these things. You should grow up. You should mature. If you're still acting like a three-year-old when you're 25, something is wrong with your maturing process. Does that make sense? But if you're dealing with 25-year-old things when you're 25, that's just the way it works. You know that 40-year-olds have things too? 80-year-olds even have things. You see, as we grow up, there's a constant progression of maturing in us, and God is going to refine us. And it's a sign of life to receive that conviction. And it's a sign of maturity to be willing to confess. To be willing to acknowledge. For me to acknowledge to you that God is still working in me. That God is still refining me. That I have attitudinal adjustments. That I have tones of voices that need to be corrected. That I can still sin though I'm a saint. My sainthood is defined by the clothing of Jesus Christ. My vulnerability... I've been given grace to say no to temptation. But I still must agree with that grace. And I still must walk in obedience and abide in the vine. And that's how Christianity functions.
0: And it's beautiful. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Lutie. Delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.